evidence and answers. More and more couples are looking to artificial reproductive methods of childbirth, including in vitro fertilization, artificial insemination by a donor, and a number of other methods. What are the biblical and ethical implications to consider? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, let's tune in as Pat presents biblical guidelines to help you navigate through this important issue facing many couples today. If you're unable to hear this entire message, all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here's Pat with a discussion of artificial reproduction. Not long ago, a single woman in church in her 40s, realizing that she probably was not going to get married, informed me that she was considering in vitro fertilization because she really wanted a child of her own. And she asked me for my opinion on this issue of artificial reproduction. How would you have responded? Artificial reproductive technologies is a growing issue we face today. As medical technology increases in this area, this is a challenge Christians must deal with. What are there biblical guidelines regarding artificial reproductive technologies? Well, let's take a look at the issue today and see what the Bible has to say about this issue. Artificial reproductive technology, once considered science fiction, is reality today. And many couples giving birth or desiring to give birth to a child will have to face many of these issues regarding artificial reproduction. And it's an issue that Christians and the church must confront and face and give biblical guidelines for how to properly use this kind of medical technology. Unfortunately, the church and the Christian community has not been able to be a strong voice in the arena of medical ethics, but the church and the Christian community, the Christian doctors there in the medical field and the Christian scientists must be a powerful voice in how to responsibly use medical technology. Just because we can do some things doesn't mean they're right and that we should. There must be good, strong, moral, and ethical guidelines for how to properly use medical technology, especially in this arena of artificial reproduction. Now, there's been a growing rise in demand for the use of and development of artificial reproductive technology. Infertility has been a devastating blow for couples who really want children. Surveys have shown that male fertility has increased. Experts estimate it to be now a level of 1 in 10 men are infertile. There are several factors for this. Some suggested reasons include environmental factors such as pesticides and chemicals in food or heightened levels of stress. Female infertility has also increased. Some of the factors include the environmental changes, factors that are congenital or behavior factors. Also, women are engaging in sexual activity at a younger age and STDs and other infections can damage the reproductive system. And now it is estimated that approximately one in six couples has an infertility problem. Also, abortion has also played a huge factor Ready access to abortion has reduced the number of children available for adoption. And couples seeking to adopt often now turn to means of artificial reproduction 
as a solution instead of adoption. So those are some of the factors that has led to a huge rise in the use of artificial reproductive technology. Now, in understanding this issue, we must understand there are several types of artificial reproduction. The first one is called artificial insemination by the husband, or AIH. Artificial insemination by the husband involves collecting the husband's sperm and injecting it into the wife. So artificial insemination by the husband does not destroy the personal and sexual aspects of the marriage bond and therefore raises less criticism there and there are less problems sociologically, spiritually, and legally in this process. The child here is genetically related to the parents. The second method is called artificial insemination by a donor or AID. AID is similar except the sperm of a donor is used instead of the husband's. More than 20,000 children a year are born by this method of artificial insemination by a donor. In this process, sperm samples are collected from undergraduates or medical students who have their genetic history checked. Doctors try to match the physical characteristics of the husband with the sperm donor. Couples may seek this method for one of three reasons. The husband has a genetic disease he does not want to pass on to his child, or he may be sterile, or there is concern over an antibody reaction from the mother. The husband may be, for example, RH positive, while she is RH negative. So those are some reasons people choose this method, artificial insemination by a donor. Now there's several serious concerns that AID raises. First. There is the concern of inbreeding. When the same sperm donor is used in many pregnancies, this raises the potential for inbreeding, especially in smaller communities and smaller towns. Researchers at the University of Wisconsin found that an average sperm donor is used for up to six pregnancies and for some as many as 50. So you can see in smaller communities, in smaller towns, this could be a problem here. Then it raises some legal concerns. The legal status of the child can be uncertain. Since the child is not genetically related to the father, there is the potential he or she could be declared illegitimate by the court. And we'll see later why this could be a major concern here. Then there are social concerns. Artificial insemination by a donor has increased the number of single parent homes. The Journal of American Medical Association estimated that approximately 10% of AID cases involve women. Half were lesbians, and this number seems to be on the rise. Also, artificial insemination by a donor can affect marriages. It can be a huge blow to the husband's masculinity. His inability to produce children can cause him to develop a feeling of failure or inferiority. This may not be apparent at first, but as the months and years go by, this may weigh on the husband's psyche here. And the couple may have difficulty explaining to the child why he or she may look quite different from their father. And often they want to keep the identity of the father or the sperm donor a secret. Then there are theological concerns. Artificial insemination by a donor introduces a third party into the pregnancy, thereby weakening the marriage bond. 
It's different from adoption because here you're introducing a third party into the pregnancy. This is a clear case when surrogate mothers are involved. God designed parenthood to be one husband and one wife to give birth to a child genetically related to the husband and the wife. The only exception, the biblical exception here is adoption. But that's how God designed marriage, that the child would be related genetically to the mother and the father, except in cases of adoption here. So artificial insemination by a donor introduces a third party into the pregnancy. Now, a question that may be racing through uh, your minds right now is, is AID, artificial insemination by a donor, is that adultery? Well, adultery involves two factors, attitude and action. Matthew 5, 28, Jesus says, if a man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he has committed adultery in his heart. Well, this is not present in AID, nor is the act of adultery involved. There's no sexual action that is present. Sperm is implanted in the wife or into a surrogate mother. However, AID does violate the biblical view of parenting since it involves bringing in a third party into the pregnancy. And so that would be a violation of the biblical view of parenting here. Now, on a related topic, there's also what we call artificial sex selection. By using sperm separation techniques in the AID process, couples can improve their chances of obtaining the child, the gender that they desire. Now, this raises some concerns here because research has shown that most couples, 72%, if they could have only one child, would prefer a boy over a girl. Now, this could lead to other kinds of genetic specification choices. I mean, selecting the gender of a child is considered the most fundamental aspect of that child. Choosing hair color, eye color, statue, height, and other characteristics would be the next logical step. When do we begin to cross the line here, making decisions really that we should leave to the sovereignty of God? Also, preferring boys over girls has led to disastrous consequences in several countries like China and India. First, there arises the assumption in a culture that boys are more valuable than girls. Also, as we have seen in several of these countries where there's a one-child-only policy, most of them prefer boys over girls, but then there arises a huge problem. When these boys are of marital age, who are they going to marry? Most of them are going to have to move to a foreign country to find a spouse. And oftentimes when they move, a lot of them are not coming back. So that poses a big problem for the countries that have a one-child policy. And if we can select gender, and if most in a culture would prefer boys, we'd run into that same problem. And as the technology increases, that's a decision that's going to be given more and more to couples before they have children. So the first method of artificial reproduction was artificial insemination by the husband. The second was artificial insemination by a donor. And the third you're hearing a lot about in the news is called in vitro fertilization. In vitro fertilization involves removing the wife's eggs and the husband's sperm, fertilizing it outside the womb for a brief period. The embryo is then placed into the mother's womb. There's research being done to create an artificial placenta. So this period outside the womb could 
extend for longer periods for the embryo. Now, the cost for this procedure ranges from $6,000 to $50,000. And presently, the success rate is at 30%, but it should increase as technology improves. And so in in vitro fertilization, several eggs, usually about half dozen eggs of the woman is removed and it is fertilized with the husband's sperm or a donor's sperm. And the embryo is allowed to grow outside of the womb for a period of time. Then, usually three or four embryos are placed back within the mother's womb because usually one out of three or one out of four of the embryos will make it to childbirth. More and more, we're seeing now that several embryos make it to childbirth. And so you're seeing a lot of birth of twins and triplets and quadruplets. You're hearing a lot more about it in the news today. But then if at the first attempt, the couple is successful to have a child or to have several children, then you have embryos that are fertilized sitting in a frozen state. Now what do you do with those? That raises some tremendous legal and ethical and biblical issues here. So let's take a look at some of those issues right now. First, there's legal concerns. For example, there's a famous case of Mario and Elsa Rios in Australia. In this case, three of Mrs. Rios's eggs were fertilized with sperm from an anonymous donor. One was implanted and the other two were in a frozen state. Now, the implanted embryo died, but before the clinic could implant the second, the couple died in a car accident. Immediately, two questions arose. Do the embryos in the frozen state have a right to life? And if so, how would they be brought to maturity? And also came the question of, to whom does the inheritance belong? The Rios couple were multi-millionaires, and who gets the inheritance? Should the clinic protect the life of the embryos? Then how would the embryos be brought to maturity? Should the embryos be placed in a surrogate mother? Then who inherits the fortune? The surrogate mother? The sperm donor? And do they have a share in that inheritance as well? Those were questions that were being asked and issues that continue to be wrestled with. Then we have another famous case called the Solomon Dilemma. Famous case of the Stern couple. They hired a surrogate mother named Mary Whitehead to be the surrogate mother and paid her $10,000. Well, as her pregnancy progressed, she developed a motherly bond for the child within her and eventually refused to give up the child. The case went to court there in New Jersey, and after a long trial, finally, the Stearns were awarded the child. So there are numerous legal concerns that arise when a third party is involved in the pregnancy process. But then there's also the ethical concern about the embryos that remain in a frozen state that will not be implanted. Usually, if a couple is successful at the first attempt, there are embryos that are fertilized that are not implanted, but they remain in a frozen state. What are we to do with those? There are perhaps thousands of embryos in a frozen state that will not be implanted and brought to maturity. Now, according to the Bible, life begins at conception. And so these are living human beings. What is to be done? That is a major ethical issue that is being wrestled with at our highest courts in the land. Now, scientists want to use these embryos for embryonic stem cell research. However, if they are alive, the Bible teaches 
life begins at conception. If they are alive, can we use them for this kind of research? One of the facts that few people know is that embryonic stem cell research has not yielded any success. All the success in stem cell research comes from what we call adult stem cell research using the umbilical cord and the placenta. This is where the success has been. There has not been any success in embryonic stem cell research. But what are we to do about the thousands of embryos in a frozen state now? So the state of the embryonic stem cell research and what to do with these frozen embryos is still in debate. It's reached the highest courts of the land. Even the president has needed to address this issue. And the issue still remains in debate. Well, what are some biblical guidelines we can give here when it comes to artificial reproductive technology? Well, first of all, when it comes to medical ethics and the issues of life, we, we must always take a sanctity of life issue, the value of human life position. Genesis chapter 1 says, Men and women are created in the image of God that all human life has dignity and has value. Psalm 139 says, that God cares for and has a relationship with the child while they are still in the womb. Psalm 139 verse 13 states, For you form my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So God has a relationship with the child. The child in the womb is in the image of God, and God has a relationship with that child from the time of the womb. Reproductive technologies, then, that threaten human life come under the same criticism as abortion. Life begins at conception. And so when we're talking about fertilized eggs and embryos we're talking about the beginning of a life here we're talking about a human life also some techniques are inefficient and result in several deaths of embryos and there is the practice of destroying fertilized eggs that are considered to be developing abnormally hyperfertilization involves fertilizing many eggs and implanting a few and then throwing away the others Unused embryos are often disposed of or used for research, and that would be the taking of a human life. Another issue to consider is this. Biblical parenthood, Genesis 1.28, involves one man and one woman, and the child that they are to give birth to should be genetically related then to the mother and the father. But methods like artificial insemination by a donor and in vitro fertilization involves a third party, especially when surrogate mothers or donors are used. Third parties affect the marriage bond and go contrary to God's design for marriage. Also now, we affect the institution of marriage because now single mothers can give birth to their children. The father is not necessary. Lesbian couples can give birth to children. And in some radical feminist organizations, they're teaching that the man is no longer necessary in society. In fact, in some of the very radical groups they're teaching, the majority of crimes are committed by men. Therefore, we could get rid 
of the majority of the problems and a lot of the crime if we get rid of the men. They're no longer necessary to produce children. In fact, we can use technology where we bring two female eggs together and fuse them and produce a child. And so in some of these very radical groups, they're saying men are no longer necessary in society. And so the institution of the family is affected here. Well, what are the biblical options here of those who are considering artificial reproduction? Well, I think the only acceptable one really is artificial insemination by the husband into the wife. Well, then what are the other options here? Well, families can survive without children. You know, God determines birth and it is under his control ultimately. And childless couples and women are not displeasing to the Lord. Look at the prophetess Anna in the book of Luke chapter 2. And childless couples have the advantage. They have more time to serve the Lord. I know some great couples in our church who don't have children. And they've actually become everyone's uncle and aunt in there. And they have a tremendous ministry, not just to one child, but to all the children in the church and in their neighborhood. And they said one of the best parts is that when they're tired, you know, the parents take the kids home and they can go and rest. But they have a tremendous ministry to the children in the church and in their community. But if couples want children, they should consider less questionable options. For example, reconstructive surgery called tuboplasty is a possibility for women. Drug treatments that increase the possibility of fertilization is another good option. Another one is adoption. That is another great option. There are hundreds of kids waiting around the world, waiting to be adopted. And another one, which is a tremendous ministry as well, is foster care. So those are some options which I believe are more healthy for a couple if they really desire to have children. The key is the couple's attitude in seeking God's will. Couples should seek wise biblical counsel and prayer and should look at biblical guidelines in making decisions when it comes to artificial reproductions. Couples should seek wise medical counsel. And couples must count the costs and consider the ethical issues involved. So when it comes to reproductive technology, I believe the best option is artificial insemination by the husband. Artificial insemination by the donor or in vitro fertilization introduces a third party into the pregnancy. And that raises a, a lot of biblical, ethical, and legal issues there. And so I believe the best option for a couple would be artificial insemination by the husband or adoption. I believe those are the healthiest, biblically consistent decisions here by couples who find themselves unable to have children, but still seeking to have a child. I hope you found this show on artificial reproductive technology helpful in giving you some biblical guidelines in making some of these very important decisions. Some of you may be wonderfully surprised at how much the Bible has to say about medical technology here. If you missed any part of this show or want to hear other shows on genetic engineering and other ethical issues, I invite you to go to our website at evidenceandanswers.org and see what the Bible has to say when it comes to medical technology and other ethical issues. I look forward to being with you again here on Evidence and Answers. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. 
If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, additional audio, and Pat's books. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, State Farm Agent Sue Ann Liu. For all your insurance needs, home, auto, or life, contact Sue Ann Liu at sueannliu.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers.